0: You're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. My dad got his athletic ability from his mom. My dad is a 6'3", all-SEC athlete, but my mom is 5'3", and doesn't have athletic bone in her body. And sadly, for my athletic career, I got much more of my mom's genes than my dad's. I've told folks that I got my dad's competitiveness, but not his athletic ability, which is a really frustrating combination to have. My competitiveness almost cost me my marriage before it began. When Olivia and I first met at a camp, was one of those camps where we were competing in all kinds of things the first part of the summer. And for some reason in the Lord's providence, we were always on different teams. And so unbeknownst to me, I wasn't aware of her growing disdain for Camp Pew, but it was growing the early part of that summer. Our kids are really thankful that we overcame those early competitive challenges. And I'm really glad I get to be on your team now, Olivia. But sadly for our kids, it seems that they got a double dose of our competitiveness, which, again, if you have that double dose of competitiveness, it can make life extra hard at times. The Bible calls Christians to love and humility, not exalting ourselves over one another, which normally feels at odds with those that have an extra dose of competitiveness in us. But there's one time in the Bible where the scriptures explicitly call us to be competitive with one another. And that time is found in the verse we'll be looking at together today. So if you will take your Bible as your copy of God's word and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. That's on page 891 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's word, please take that Bible as our gift to you today been slowly preaching through Romans 12 this year, Romans chapter 12 begins with calling us not to be conformed to the image of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds more and more into the image of Christ. We're spending time this year as a church family looking at how we can be transformed together more into the image of Jesus in a way that we can better reflect the heart of Jesus to one another. Today we are looking at the idea of transformed competition. But before our text tells us how to redeem our competitive natures, this verse tells us how to love one another. There's two points from our verse we're looking at today, Romans 12 verse 10. Two points of the sermon, if you're taking notes. The first point of this sermon is to love one another like family because we are family. Point number one, love one another like family because we are family. Look at verse 10 with me. The apostle Paul writes under under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Paul gives a big general command to love one another in verse 9 that we looked at last time together. And here in verse 10, he gives a more specific example of what love looks like. And it looks like us loving one another as family. As has often been said at Iron City Church, as Christians, it's not that we're like family, we are family. Mentioned last time as we were in Romans 12 and verse 9, Paul used the word agape. Agape. This Greek word for love, which is this godlike, lavish love that never runs out. But in verse 10, Paul uses a different word that's also translated as love in our English Bibles. It's the word Philadelphia. I saw someone from Philly walking in earlier today. Many of us are familiar with this word because we're familiar with this city of brotherly love in Pennsylvania. This word is a combination of two Greek words, the word for love and the word for brother. And Paul was probably the first one ever to use this word in a way that wasn't referring to a biological family, because Paul knew something. Paul knew that in Jesus, we have a new family, a family that runs deeper and lasts longer than our biological families, a family that will last forever. Christians are called here in Romans twelve ten to love one another with brotherly affection. But as, as I was meditating on this this week, a question came to mind thinking about some of you pastorally. I think a legitimate question to ask is, but what if I've had a bad brother? What if I would never want someone to treat me the way that my earthly brother has treated me? If that's your story again, just hear from me, I'm so sorry because that's not the way things are supposed to be. In Jesus, that's not the way things will eternally be. But hear me, do you know what Jesus is called in the book of Romans? Jesus called in Romans chapter eight, the firstborn among many brothers through his resurrection. Jesus, our perfect elder brother has literally loved you to death, has loved you to death on the cross. And for us as his siblings, in order for us to love in the way that God has called us to here in Romans twelve ten. You must first receive God's perfect love for you that he has shown you in Jesus. So that you can more faithfully reflect that to your siblings in Jesus. You've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. You cannot reflect what you're not first receiving. Sanctification, which means growing to be more like Jesus... We said last time in verse 9, maybe a a definition of sanctification growing to be more like Jesus from verse 9 of chapter 12 is to grow to love what God loves and hate what he hates more and more. I think a good definition of sanctification from verse 10 would be growing to more fully receive God's fatherly love in Jesus so that you can more faithfully reflect that love to your new family. Growing to more fully receive God's fatherly love for you and his son Jesus, so that you can more faithfully reflect that love to your new family in Jesus. Later in the book of Romans, in Romans 15, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, To welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcoming is the beginning of a relationship. In Jesus, we can't even begin a relationship the way we're meant to if we're not first receiving God's love and welcoming for us in Jesus. I mentioned one of the reasons that we're even going through Romans 12 this year is been learning from a pastor named Ray Ortland, who's, Lord willing, gonna come preach for us. He's really helped me think about how what we believe. Our gospel doctrine should really reflect how we treat one another as a church family, our gospel culture as a church, to use Ray's language. We care a lot about doctrine and theology. Doctrine and theology just means what we believe about God. One of the reasons why we care about doctrine and theology a lot at Iron City Church is because Jesus tells us in order to worship God, we must worship him in spirit and truth. We can't worship God in truth unless we are believing true things about him. But good and precise doctrine is not an end in itself. Too many churches have strong theology but are relationally weak. Too many churches may have good gospel doctrine but lack, again, a gospel culture in their church. If your good theology isn't leading you to love God and others more deeply, the scriptures are really clear. Something has gone off between your head and your heart. 1 John 4.20 makes clear that we can gauge our love for God by how well we're loving our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Our love for our church family is like that little gas gauge in your car, showing you your love for God. Our love for one another actually shows how much love for God is in our tanks. And do you know what fills our tank more and helps us love one another? Well, it's by meditating on God's deep love for us. The deep love that God the Father has shown us in his son, Jesus. Receiving that love in Jesus, again, so that we can reflect that love to each other by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians are to love one another like family because we are family. Even when we have members of our earthly biological families that disappoint us and don't love us in return, I often hear people say, well, he's still my brother or she's still my sister. And hear me, that's all the more true. That's eternally true for us as Christians in the church. Christians are a family. No matter our differences, ethnically, economically, education, color, culture, language, political preferences, positionally, Christians are perfectly unified in Jesus. The problem is we let those other things I just named often practically divide us. It's great when we like the members of our family, but even if we don't like our family members, we are clearly called to love them. And loving people well requires us to sacrificially die to ourselves for someone else's good. Again, the closest definition we have in the scriptures for what love is, is 1 John four ten. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the propitiation, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What is biblical love? It is self-sacrifice for someone else's good. The foundation of our relationship isn't liking the same things or even liking each other, but loving the same savior. Jesus' love is what binds us together in love. Christians are to love one another like family because we are family. Secondly, Christians are to beat each other at showing honor. Second and last point, that Christians are to beat each other at showing honor. This is where this holy competitiveness comes in. Look at verse 10 again. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Again, verse 10 is the only place in the Bible we're explicitly told to compete with one another. Sam Albury, who's a pastor in Nashville, says the more competitive we get with this verse in view, the more everyone wins. Nobody likes being around a person that's always trying to one-up you, whether that's telling a better story than you just told or really anything else in life. No one likes being around those kinds of people. Christians aren't to do, outdo one another in one-upping each other. We don't outdo one another in putting each other down. We outdo one another in lifting one another up with our words and our actions. We outdo one another by looking for evidences of grace in each other's lives. We don't look to flatter one another as too often we do in the South. We're not looking to lie to one another about how great each other are, but to look for real evidences of grace in each other's lives and to share those things with each other. Because you know what's true about me? It's so easy for me to get fixated on my shortcomings. It's really hard for me to see God's work of grace in my life sometimes. And a means of grace for me is to have other brothers and sisters speaking words of life, pointing out evidence of grace in my life. And I, I think I'm probably not the only one in the room that needs that. We need each other to outdo one another in showing honor. Pastor Isaac has often said, no one is walking around over encouraged these days. One of the reasons for that is because we live in a call out cancel culture. If you don't believe me, get on Twitter sometime. One of the worst things about Twitter is sometimes Christians can be the worst at this. Christians must instead show that there is a better way And we're a family. And of course, as families, we're gonna have to deal with hard things with one another. But even as we deal with hard things, we're to do that in love and looking to honor one another in every way possible. I don't know about you, but in 2023, I've already been to too many funerals. One of the things I've left to resolve from these funerals is to not wait until someone dies to tell them how much I love them to tell them how much they've impacted my life. I've left wanting to all the more, honor those who've been means of grace to me. I know some of you did not grow up in families that built you up but tore you down. And again, I'm so sorry for that. And that's not the way families are supposed to be. And that may make this command extra hard for you because you've not seen it modeled well in your family but my prayer is that your experience in your Iron City Church family will be healing for you. Again, no, if honor has not been modeled, this may not feel natural, but again, I wanna encourage you, don't just wait for others to honor you first, but get the honor train started, get it rolling in your community group, on your serve team, in your home, with your family, with your roommates, When this culture of honor and encouragement begins, it's contagious in the best sense of the word. What a gift of grace it would be to all of us if this is what marked our Iron City Church family. A culture of honor, a culture of outdoing one another and speaking words of life to each other. It's hard to believe, but it's already May in 2023. And May is always a bittersweet month in the life of our church because it means a number of our members are graduating and moving outside of Birmingham. Had a member of Iron City who is leaving tell me this week that one of the things that he will miss the most is the consistent encouragement he's received while Iron City. And I know that has not been the experience, unfortunately, of everyone that's left our church. And I lament that. But that is my prayer that that would be the experience of all of our church members. That they would miss the amount of encouragement that they receive from being a member of our church family when they leave. Paul calls Christians to outdo one another, not in exerting power over each other, but in honoring and serving and encouraging each other. What a beautiful text we read from 2 Samuel 9, right? A beautiful text of someone using their power not to get revenge, but to honor, to show mercy. Mephibosheth, and this, what an incredible, beautiful text. And, and uh, I will uh, give you five bucks if you name your kid Mephibosheth. I wish I wish, uh, could have another son. Just to, uh, what a beautiful text of honor, right? I'm sure you can come up with a, maybe a cool nickname within there. One of my goals of 2023 has been to work out more. And one of the things to do in order to do that, uh, my Olivia has become my accountability kind of workout partner. And uh, often I love documentaries and to have some extra motivation, often watching documentaries while working out. And one of the things we're doing right now is rewatching The Last Dance, which is a documentary on Michael Jordan's Last Bulls team. And one of the things that's clear from that documentary is that Jordan was driven by revenge to be the best. He was driven by a desire to always one-up his peers. If Isaiah Thomas won two championships in a row, he needed to win three in a row. If Carmelo Malone won the MVP this year, he needed to embarrass him in the playoffs. This competitiveness drove Jordan to be the best, to win at all costs in the court. But it drove him also to lose in life. Talk about a miserable man. If you want an example of this, go watch his Hall of Fame induction sometime. If there's ever a time to give and receive honor, it's at a Hall of Fame induction, but Jordan used it to tear down others and settle scores and old grudges in a way that was just heartbreaking and sad. When we try to one up one another, division follows. But when we try to outdo one another in showing honor, unity flourishes. When we try to outdo one another by one upping one another, division follows. When we try to outdo one another in showing honor, unity flourishes. This context that Paul the apostle was writing into, Paul is calling this church in Rome to honor one another where there is all kinds of ethnic and class divisions where the subjugation of women is prevalent all around them. The church was to show that there is a better way, a way to honor all people. Hear me, all people deserve honor because all people are made in the image of God. Every Christian deserves familial love because you are now a part of a family forever with one another. Many in the first century lost their families for following Jesus. And that's true in the 21st century as well. People are still losing their relation with their families for following Jesus. But Jesus promised his disciples in the first century that they would have a hundredfold family in the gospels for those who follow him. And that's again, true for us today as well. But hear me men, scripture calls us to treat younger women in the church as sisters and older women as mothers. I don't know about you, but I care deeply about whether people treat my mom and my sister in an honorable way. Few things would fire me up more than someone dishonoring the women in my family. hear me brothers, we should treat and take up for the women in our church, the way we want others to treat the women in our family because these women are our family. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying women are to be treated with respect just because they're some man's mother or sister or daughter, women are to be treated as and honor as individuals because each woman is precious and made in the image of God. Just like any family, if the women in Iron City aren't flourishing, then our church family won't flourish. We need the gifts and experience and wisdom of the women of our church to be on full display if our church is gonna be the healthy family that God desires us to be. But the treatment of women, I don't think is the only thing that Paul had in view here in this verse, there are other divisions. There are other people that were not being treated as they ought to be treated. If you read the New Testament, you know there are ethnic divisions, especially between Jew and Gentile in the church. That was the case in the first century. And we know that that is still the case in the 21st century. We live in a city that Dr. King called the most racially divided city in America. We also live in a city that according to Barna research has been called the most Bible-minded city in America. But if you read the New Testament, you know that these two things cannot both be true. Within all of our parents' lifetimes, our black brothers and sisters in Birmingham were kept from coming into certain church buildings, including this one, and had their own church buildings bombed in our city. Talking about lying to the world about the good news of Jesus, with our actions, Christians who look like me in our city must ask, what does it look like to make repair for these wounds from our city's past that still show up in the present? How do we obey Romans twelve ten and showing honor and love as a family? How do we make repair and restitution? And that certainly can look different. I think will look different for individual Christians and for congregations. But I truly believe if we're gonna be faithful Christians in Birmingham, it must look like something. And if you're not already, one of the ways would encourage you to to grow and understand these things. We have a ministry of our church called United We Pray that has podcasts and articles that talk about these things. If you want to think more biblically and helpfully and clear and hopefully about racial strife in the church, would encourage you to follow that ministry, United We Pray, within our church. When we try to forget our past, divisions remain. But we remember and repent of our sins. Reconciliation can happen and unity can flourish. We are called to outdo one another in showing honor. Who can you honor this week? Who can you go out of your way to intentionally encourage, speak words of life? Honor looks like listening to one another being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Honor looks like looking to selflessly serve one another and not selfishly be served by one another. Honor looks like looking for evidence of grace in each other's lives and sharing those with one another and not nitpicking one another and discouraging one another. I think one of the most harmful ways we often do this and not even aware is with, the way we joke with each other, of tearing each other down for the sake of a laugh. Here, brothers and sisters, it's never worth it. It's never worth it. And again, even if the person doesn't act like they're offended and maybe they're not even consciously so, the kind of damage that can do to our relationships with each other, again, instead of tearing each other down, we must build each other up in love. One of the things that we do in our Southside community group is the first Thursday of the month, we all have dinner together and then we break off men and women to practice James 5 and confess our sins to to one another and share ways to pray for each other. But on Thursday night this week, we did something else. I'm not just trying to practice James 5, but the men in our group took a little time to also try to practice this verse and honor one another. And if you've never done this before, it may feel weird at first, again, as that honor train starts rolling, this is one of the most life-giving things we can do together. It's one of my most favorite things that we do as a church staff is take time to honor each other. And as we do this, you will find this is what you're made for. Again, the ways of the world, tearing each other down for the sake of a laugh, to exalt one another, the ways of Jesus are so much better building each other up in love, speaking words of life to each other. This is what God has made us for. When we try to one-up one another, divisions follow, but when we try to outdo one another in serving each other and showing honor, unity flourishes in the church. I know we've got a few pharmacists, those legal drug dealers, and even more people that can prescribe medication in our Iron City Church family. But Paul gives his own prescription for unity in the church in Philippians chapter 2. And what he tells us is how we pursue unity is to honor and love each other by looking out for each other's interests and needs even above our own. I'm talking about countercultural, looking out for other people's interests and needs even above your own. The gospel's clear, Philippians 2 is clear. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Again, Jesus, our perfect elder brother has literally loved us to death on the cross so that he might give us eternal life as his family. And Christians, we can walk in this new life now, not by trying to one up each other and exalt ourselves above one another, but, but by humbly serving one another with our actions and building one another up with our words. We are a family.